0: Zone. Opportunity lives where the status quo dies. Talking to the greatest innovators, disruptors, and off the wall inventors, we can scrounge up. You laugh, you'll learn, you'll be inspired. Now, here are your hosts, Leland Conway and Cameron Mills. It is absolutely inexcusable, though the governor is offering plenty of excuses, that the state auditor found 400,000 unread emails of Kentuckians who were trying to get through to the unemployment uh, folks, and those emails went not only unread, but apparently archived and just put off to the side. Um, And the governor's making all kinds of excuses about this, and that's ridiculous. So we're going to talk about that today with state auditor Mike Harmon. We're also going to talk about his first car which was a very ugly car. Actually, so was his second car and his third car. So we're going to get into that in a funny conversation with Mike Harmon, the state auditor, but also this very important stuff about the governor completely failing Kentuckians on their unemployment claims. The government put people out of work It was not a decision that they made. It was a decision that the government made. It wasn't even a decision that their company made. It was a decision that the government made, and wrongly so now that we know that we could have handled this so much different. So, so much unnecessary pain and economic destruction, and yet the governor continues to make excuses. So, we're going to talk to Mike Harmon in just a second. First of all, I want to thank our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. 6,200 hit lane in Louisville. They're right on the border of Oldham County and Louisville. If you're in southern Indiana, Louisville or Odom County, and you want to get your dream kitchen, do Louisville cabinets and countertops. Three designers to help you Um, on staff, George, Kelly, Michelle, they're great people and they love seeing your smiling face. Uh, So come into the uh, showroom there at 1200, uh, 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 excuse me, 6200 hit lane, or give them a call at 502-930-3304. I also encourage you to check out their website for examples of their work. And if you're a do it yourself or a contractor, you can click on cabinets on their website in-stock cabinets and then it will take you to a page with like amazing beautiful high quality affordable in-stock cabinets if you're doing it yourself or you're a contractor you're going to love the styles that they have everything from modern to traditional it's all on there i believe in louisville cabinets and countertops because we're a former customer and that uh i i don't i don't talk about businesses that i don't do business with personally you know so um, that's the deal on that. Louisville cabinets and countertops, check them out. All right, without any further ado, let's get into our conversation with Mike Harmon about his ugly car and the governor's ugly excuses. I've uh, been watching all the stories about the new the uh, ice storm y'all got, and uh, I looked at my wife yesterday, and, of course, we got a surprise snowstorm this morning. It was 4% chance of precipitation. We woke up to, like, 4 inches. And, oh, uh, my goodness. Now, where are you at? We're in Colorado Springs, Colorado. Gotcha, gotcha. So, so I looked at my wife and I said this is I love Kentucky. Kentucky is always home. I will always go back come back to Kentucky. I will always spend a lot of time there but I do not miss living on the border where weather fights it out and getting those stupid ice storms and losing power. Did right. y'all lose power?
1: Uh we didn't. I, I think there were some in Kentucky that did. Yeah, Michael was saying that northeastern Kentucky lost some power.
0: Yeah, yeah, I was going to say it, it seemed to get a little worse the farther northeast you went. So, well, now, cool. it took me about yeah. about forty five minutes to get into my van. <laughs> but, but other than that, wait, wait, hold on a second, hold on a second, what what do you mean by van? Do you drive a minivan, Mike Harmon?
1: Well, here is the thing: <laughs> I drove a jeep. I drove a jeep, and my wife got a job, and the jeep is the better car. And you know the rule. The, the wife, wife gets, gets to drive gets the four wheel drive. Car. <laughs> see,
0: yeah. see, I have this ongoing thing um that a man, a self respecting American man, never wants a minivan, but he always has to get one, right? Like when you get to that for, for point it. with family, you had to get one. But he never wants one. But there's a big thing where dudes are like trying to man up their minivan, and I'm like, guys, no, if you had a if you had a check right now, if I were to hand you Mike Harmon a, a check, just a blank check. I say, Mike Harmon, go to any car dealership in the state of Kentucky, write that check out for the amount you need for whatever you want on that car lot. I guarantee you it's not going to be a minivan, right? Am I right? It's not going to be a minivan. You're not. right. What is You're it going right. to be? What is it going to be, by the way? You know, I do like Mustangs. Mm. I do like I do like Mustangs. Yeah. Those are pretty awesome. I had, a <laughs> I had the uh, four-cylinder version in college. And the, oh, um, the well no, because the engine mount was broke. We had it we had oh, it no. jimmied in <laughs> with uh we had it jimmied in with uh with plywood underneath of it. And do you remember that speaking of snowstorms in Kentucky, do you remember that storm that hit in nineteen ninety four? I was in college, was it ninety four ninety six? It was ninety six, I think it was ninety six. I was in college, I had flown back out to Arizona to be, be with my parents for Christmas, came back, landed in Louisville, okay. It was seventy five degrees in Phoenix, Sky Harbor Airport, landed in Louisville, it was minus fourteen. There were two feet of snow on the ground and then the next day my buddy and i were put carpool- like i was driving that mustang and he was driving my grandpa's 1976 chrysler newport and it didn't have any brakes like you had to pump oh, no. it really hard we and yeah. so we drove across i-64 to lexington and um, I spun out on a bridge near Wadi, where my grandparents live, and it was it was like the first car wreck I'd ever had was in that Mustang. I hated that thing; it was awful. Oh wow! <laughs> so, but Mustangs are you, good.
1: You, you, you know, a car that I had that actually navigated—they had actually shut the interstates down, and I didn't know it. Oh well, no. you Literally couldn't see the road. I had a little Ford Festiva. <laughs> it, and and it could go everywhere except up a hill. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> that,
0: that's so funny. I can't picture you in a Ford Festiva, but now it's hilarious. I'm never. Whenever I see you in person from now on, I'm going to be like, Dude. well, but, but the, the good thing
1: was, if I ever got a flat tire, you just pull into a local donut shop, yeah. and buy <laughs> Put a donut, donut, and throw it onto the. You side, got any stale
0: so. donuts? I need a tire. <laughs> that's right. That's, that's right. awesome. So. My first car. Was a, a post Jimmy Carter Dodge Charger, not a Dukes of Hazard Dodge Charger, but a post Jimmy right. Carter. The little 2.2 engine in it, uh, it idled, stuck idled at 3,500 RPM. It was the two front had been wrecked, so the two front tires were tow in. So I wore out tires every 2,000 miles, and the shift linkage kept popping off the gear box, and so I'd have oh, to nice. stop every now and then when I was shifting into third gear, pull off pop it back on, duct tape it, and get back out on the road. But I drove that car to deliver pizza forever, and it it served me well. I bought it for $150. My brother-in-law and I uh, did some work to it, and then I sold it for 350 after driving it like 40,000 miles. So you can't go wrong with that.
1: You so, can't go wrong so. with that. Well, the first car that my... Oh, that I had actually shared with my older brother. My mom and dad actually bought one for us to share, and it was a Ford Granada. Oh, and if you re- if and if you remember when we invaded Grenada, right. my brother was going around all day going, "Yeah, a bunch of Marines attacked our car." <laughs> <laughs>
0: That's hilarious. uh I'm actually looking at. I'm trying to remember what it looks like. Yeah, there it is. Yeah, there it is. That. <laughs> What is that? That is like a I don't know, man. I feel like some, that's something chips would chase on the highway in California. That's right. That's right. <laughs> like, that's hilarious. All right. Well, the reason I had you on, uh, you recently had a report that made a couple of bits of news. Yes. Um, you know the the one of the things that I think has been most um egregious about how COVID has been handled in the state of Kentucky is the unemployment side, and there's excuses that come from the administration's office. Um, on a regular basis, but there's no other state that has had this problem. And the, the main excuse that I hear offered is look, we got into a pandemic. A lot more people lost their jobs than normally would be. So it just overwhelmed the unemployment office. Well, there's 50, there's 49 other States. And I don't know of any other state that's had the level of just horrible. I mean, there's people almost a year later still waiting to get unemployment yes. benefits where they have been out of work since this all started, since we were all shut down and I think wrongly so, and you discovered, and I don't want to let you talk about this, but just the nut of the story is that you discovered that there were at least 400,000 emails that were sent to the Kentucky Unemployment Insurance Assistance Office that weren't even read. Correct. There were 400,000,
1: and as I said in our report, it really breaks my heart, but, you know, 400,000 unread emails that just were archived. Now, I think early on they were trying to prioritize and, uh, you know, emails and and sort through them, but then they just gave up and archived them. And so, you know, you can only imagine. um, I know that I think the governor had mentioned something to the effect that, well, those probably don't, you know, are not each individual 400,000 individuals and that very well could be true sure. but you know they are still probably representative of tens of thousands of individuals that have tried to get through. Uh, it could also be representative of you know someone that experienced a similar security breach or noticed a security breach uh, because one of the ones that we found out about that they didn't tell us for you know well after a month uh, you know, that came through an email as well. Well,
0: so l- let me let me pause you there because I just want to cl- sure. point a clarification. Sure. There's a difference between an email going unread, which is bad enough. Right. You said that they are actively archived. They just didn't even open them. Just, hey, yeah. I'm throwing yeah, this in the archive. archive. They, they're, they're not even opening them. That's totally different because until you actually have the opportunity to open and read it, you don't know whether that's somebody who says – Guys, I've been trying to call. I haven't got my stuff in nine months or whether it's something right. more innocuous. I mean, if if four, if you have 400,000 emails that are unread, and let's say maybe, let's say he's right. It doesn't represent 400,000 people. If 10,000 people sent 40 emails because they couldn't get through, that's still 10,000 people. Sure. Okay, I didn't mean to interrupt, but I just wanted to clarify. They archived no, them. They well, actively and, archived know, them. They d- it wasn't that they just didn't open them.
1: Yeah, and at the time of our report, you know, there were still 80,000 uh, claims that had not been, you know, settled. Right. Uh, and I think most recently, one of the press accounts was now there's over a 100,000. So, yeah, I mean, they just archived those emails, and there was multiple things. Uh, you know, I know they got overwhelmed uh, with, with the closings. I know towards the end of March, when the closings were coming, you had well over 40,000 individuals filed in one week, and the following week, over a 100,000. And I know they've talked about the old computer system, and, and I understand that. And I understand there was to too many people. But one of the things that we found was they took some key controls off very early on. They did what, what they called auto pay,
0: right.
1: which, which was like, I'm sure it was well intended. Yeah. Uh, but, but to me, it was really a systemic failure in leadership because when they did that, they took those controls off. What it did, it also increased the probability of fraud. Uh, And it still didn't solve the situation they wanted to, which was to get checks out more quickly to individuals. And so it created more problems and it's problems they're still digging out of.
0: Why? And and I want to get into some of the fraud issues because you found some stuff. um, But but let me let me kind of zero in on this for a second, because, again, perhaps well-intentioned. Right. I get it because as a conservative personally, one of the things we applauded President Trump for was removing red tape. Um, And if ever there was an area where red tape needed to be removed, it was in getting people assistance who had been out of work through no fault of their own. In other words, this wasn't a decision that these people made. It wasn't even a bad decision that their company made that forced a layoff. This was a government decision to put them out of work. So I get that. But when we look at the uh, that, that those removing those constraints, was there any way, any other way that they could have streamlined getting this out without removing those constraints that protect the taxpayer. Yeah, because,
1: you know, one of the constraints that they had on there was just asking you if you had other employment, whether full-time or or Mm -hmm. otherwise, uh, whether full-time or part-time. And, you know, one of the findings that we had in this particular report, and we just did a sampling, you know, we assumed that there's more, but there were, we did a sampling of 37 state employees who had still had full-time employment had lost income due to part-time employment uh, and and had filed, and, you know, everybody was encouraging everybody to file, had filed and actually had received benefits. Uh, There were 16 of those 37 received benefits when really uh, they didn't qualify. But because they turned off the simple question of, you know, do you have any other income and what is that income, uh, they were able to get it. Now, I will say that, uh, you know, once they turned that auto pay off, there were still seven state employees in our sample that did not input their income and still received it when they should not have. Uh, but just that mere question—if you can imagine—if they did that with state employees, well, multiply that throughout the state, mm-hmm. and then—and then you've also got people who, you know, sincerely and honestly was assumed—I would assume—that they would have proper questions and they would be able to tell them whether they qualified or not. And now there are individuals that are making payments back. Right. uh, And there's probably a lot more too. So, you know, there's that situation there as well. So there's a lot going on in this report. Like I said, it had 25 findings, about half of them uh, dealt with the office of unemployment insurance, but there is so much more now as to what could have been done. You know, I've talked about, I know I've I've had multiple, People mentioned to me, you know, the uh, the General Assembly had offered well over 100 individuals in the uh, Legislative Research Commission to be able to help navigate some of these uh, phone calls. And I know it was my understanding one of their concerns was confidentiality, but you could have easily taken these individuals, trained them, had them sign a confidentiality form. As auditors, we have signed confidentiality forms and help them, if not anything else, process the emails, you know. Yeah. You prioritize the emails or take phone calls. I mean, I can't tell you the number of people that have told me we just can't get through. I had one of my, one of my friends call me and say, Hey man, I'm on disability and someone's filed a false claim against me. I can't even get through to tell the office of unemployment that someone's filed a false claim. So, you know, yeah. we, we, you know, and so, and even since we've done our report, we had some before it, but it's, it's escalated. We still have tons of people reaching out to us saying, Hey, we've been trying to get our benefits. We can't get our benefits. Can you help? Can anybody help? Yeah. You know, do you know of anybody? And, and the best that we can do is, you know, really refer them to their state rep and their state senators who, even they are having some problems, but they're better suited to try to punch through the noise because they've got, you know, a great constituent services group. I, I, I served 13 years in the kentucky house before i became auditor so i'm not unaccustomed to dealing with constituent services
0: yeah um i I, some of the pictures that broke my heart were the people that had been told to line up for an appointment and then uh sent home at the end of the day standing outside all day long in the middle of a pandemic (laughs) in the middle of a pandemic next to each other (laughs) you know i mean it was like it was so crazy um the, the excuse that the, one of the other excuses the governor's offered up is that the, it was due to federal changes. Is that true? And what, what did he mean by that?
1: Well, I will say that the federal guidance from the CARES came out uh, was, you know, ever, ever changing because it was so new and getting out. But was, it was just
0: referencing the six hundred dollar per week federal enhancement.
1: Well, the CARES Act actually created three new major uh uh, unemployment. Of course, you know, normally before we had traditional, uh, they created uh, a pandemic one that basically was for uh, economies that wouldn't normally, like the gig economy, self-employed. Right. Uh, and then they also had an extension on unemployment for people that had run out of the traditional. And then they also had, as you mentioned, the $600 additional, if they qualified for $1 of either traditional or pandemic unemployment, then they would qualify for the additional uh, six hundred dollars. So that was that was all uh, a part of what was going on there. Okay.
0: So, but th- that excuse doesn't hold water when none of the other states had that problem as well.
1: No, no, it, and it doesn't hold excuse because what they did is even though the the guidance was ever you know changing, they also didn't stick to just basic controls. And, and in the process, they did violate the federal law. Yeah. But 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 just basic controls about confirming uh, you know, whether or not someone's working, confirm whether or not, you know, what sort of income that they have. Uh, and when they failed to do that, as I said, they took those trying to get checks out, yeah. uh, in a timely fashion, uh, it actually created more problems and they're still not getting them out in a timely fashion.
0: Well, I, I think that, that, okay. I I don't, I'm not a fan of excuses. Everybody kind of had an excuse for the first three weeks. You know, we had an excuse for shutting down the economy for the first three weeks. Right. But then right. we should have if we were actually following the science by then, we should have known this is not the way to handle it. We need to open things back up, get people back to work. Sure. Let's quarantine the sick. Um, it, it it infuriates me that my understanding is that there's actually a, a test that they could do that's over the counter that that if they would just mass produce it, it costs about a dollar a piece. People could we could put it in the local CBS pharmacy, whatever, Walgreens. People could go down there and buy it. They can have 10, 20 of them on hand. They're 100% accurate when they tell you that you have COVID. They're, about, they're, they're not 100% accurate when they tell you that you don't. Okay, 100% when they tell you you do, not 100% when they don't. That's not perfect. But let's say they were 80% accurate when they tell you that you don't have it. That means you're clearing out most of the cases if people go, oh, crap, I have it. I'm going to stay home and quarantine. In other words, you could shift to the correct model of dealing with a pandemic, of quarantine the sick, let everybody else go about their business. Now, that doesn't mean that since it's not completely accurate, there's still gonna be a few cases floating around. But sure. when we talk about sure. flattening the curve and slowing the spread, that would accomplish just that. But we haven't focused on that. Nobody's focused on that in the last nine months. So bringing that back to this point, there's no excuse for the fact that we haven't focused on that. And there's also no excuse that literally 10 months after the fact, Kentucky still has 400,000 unread emails and still has people out there we don't even know how many that have never received their benefits. That is absolutely inexcusable at this point.
1: It is inexcusable. It is unacceptable. Uh, just as you had indicated, if early on, once we knew some of the science, we could have made sure that we uh, quarantine. If, if you had to do a long-term quarantine, quarantine the individuals that were most at risk, right. know, long-term care, people over, uh, depending on which stats you look at, 70 or 75. Uh, and do very much what what you're talking about. But even if we follow the, I can disagree on how they implemented everything along that lines. Still, you still have to follow the rules. You still have to follow the regulations. And and I know the governor has talked about they needed a better computer system. I know the governor has talked about they needed more people. And all that is valid. But when you turn those controls off, you could have the best computer system and, and enough people. And when you turn those controls off, you're still gonna create problems and you're still gonna have a situation just as we described. Yeah. And you're gonna get overwhelmed.
0: Well, you know what I'm kinda sick of? I mean, as a as a Kentuckian, obviously I don't live in the state right now, but I am once a Kentuckian, always a Kentuckian. <laughs> and sure. I, I was born there. So I have I have deep attachment to my home state and I have deep love for my home state and I have a deep desire to see my home state succeed. And I, I'm sick and tired of our state being 20 years behind. And I'm sick and tired of, like, well, our computers are old. That's a bullcrap excuse. Freaking get them updated. You know you know what I mean? I mean, if we're that far behind, 49 other states, some of which are run very poorly, right? I mean, right, look, at, look right. at New York finding out today CNN's giving everybody the side eye, like, oh, crap. Cuomo apparently hid all that information about, you know, COVID deaths and nursing right, homes from the right. feds. That is a poorly run state. They didn't have this problem. You know what I mean? I live in a Democrat-run state, Colorado. Um, they were complaining here because people were two weeks behind getting their benefits. As far as I know, there's no one still waiting for them. And we were having 90, 60, 70, 80, 90, 100,000 people a week going in and, and, and you know applying. So it— it just doesn't I, I. it does not make sense. And it And it doesn't feel like it feels like the governor's full of excuses and absolutely no sense of urgency on this, because I don't see any kind of task force put together on it. I don't see any kind of like, let's wrap our heads around this. I don't see him coming out, updating us on where are we with this every day. He updates us on where we are and whether to close bars or not, but not on this. So. Right. So, right. I mean, that's that's why I, I guess I'm just infuriated by it. And I think a lot of Kentuckians are.
1: Well, and as I've said before, you know, at a minimum, they need to get enough people in there that they can have a live person. I mean, how many times have you and I know I've done this? You, you know, you have to talk to somebody. An automated system, a lot of things you can solve with an automated system or solve, but but there's some things you just have to talk to somebody. So you're sitting there going, representative, you <laughs> right, know, right, and hitting right, pound, 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 right. pound, or zero, 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 and just trying to figure out what. How can I get to a live person? We need live people to be able to talk yeah. and to help navigate. Because when I was in the state house, you know, we would have people call. A lot of times we would have been able to help them with their problems. You know, constituent service did a fantastic job. Sometimes we couldn't. But even the people we couldn't help, there was a certain piece about them. If you just had somebody that was willing to right. listen right. and try, I mean, they just can't these people just can't even break through the noise. I mean, yeah. they call yesterday. I was doing an interview about the same situation and they popped up uh, on the screen that the unemployment website was taken down. <laughs> <You> know, <laughs> wow. So it was down. So, wow. you know, it's, you know, it's one of those things And they call and they can't get through. And, and now they find out that the email that they were giving them, you know, may have just been, you know, archived uh, without even being read. So, yeah, I can imagine their frustration.
0: Yeah, no know. doubt. No doubt. So you had, uh, in your audit, uh, report, you had 37 state employees that you found and there may be more, but these are ones you found.
1: Yeah. These were just tests. We just, we, we, we had a belief and an understanding that maybe it had occurred. So we did a sampling of, of 37
0: okay. that and, was included in our report. And out of that 37, how many had abused assist 16 out of them?
1: Yeah, we we found that of those thirty-seven uh, that were basically full-time employees who had lost a part-time position outside of their full-time state employment, okay. uh, sixteen of them had applied for and received benefits that did not qualify.
0: And they also got six hundred bucks a week during that period of time for federal enhancement. I want to. I would. I would. I would be willing to bet money that they were ended up making more money from the unemployment they got than they were making from the part time job they got on the side.
1: Yes, I, I'm I'm almost certain. That's that, a hundred. That, it,
0: that, it, that, yeah, yeah. And,
1: and what we what we looked at, at least in that in that sample, there was basically $116,000 paid out uh, that was not supposed to go out.
0: Okay, and you know, just in that sample, just right. in that sample. That, what worries me, I mean, I I don't. You know, I don't want to make an extrapolation because 30, 16 out of thirty seven is a very high percentage. But let's take a broader look. I mean, how many Kentucky State employees that are full time have second jobs? I mean, there's probably huh? a number, but sure. but but still, that that seems like a really high rate out of thirty seven. I mean, it, was that was yeah. it a targeted sample? Was it like let's look at people we know that have second jobs, or was it a targeted sample in a in an income range, or or how did you determine? Yeah, those 37 what, what, state employees.
1: What they looked at specifically was individuals that they knew had won, had had a part, had a, was full-time employees and had a part-time. Now there may have also been people out there that were, you know, not necessarily in our sample, but uh, seasonal employees, uh, temporary employees, things like that. Yeah. But, you know, from the standpoint of our sample, we looked at full-time people who had lost a uh, part-time position uh, just because we, we had a belief that uh, while Uh, everybody was encouraging everybody to apply that there was at least a possibility in that regard. Now, is there
0: a possibility that of those 16, the majority of them maybe just got bad advice and didn't intend Uh, to scam the system but were told you should do this? Because you're right. I mean, I'll think back to it. I remember... There was a very willy nilly, free and flowing. Hey, everybody, go get your unemployment. It yeah. was like it was it was it was paycheck day from the government at that point. So, I mean, is right. there a chance these people didn't? They weren't trying to scam the system. They were just sort of advised, hey, you should do this. Wink, yeah. wink.
1: And, and certainly, we you know we can't read their minds, but from the standpoint, hopefully, uh, they had the best of belief that the system, you know, if they were not supposed to receive it, there would be the proper checks, the checks that sadly were taken off, right, <laughs> you know, right. that, that they would ask the proper questions. And if they did not qualify, right. I would would think that they would be. Now, I will say that once they put the auto pay back on, we of those 16, there were seven of them that, you know, continued to draw even after they started asking the questions about income that that they just didn't get that key, that information in, even though they had an obligation to do it.
0: Right. One wonders nationwide how much fraud took place. I actually, I was in Arizona a couple weeks ago visiting uh, some friends and, and doing some work down there, and I went to my, because I grew up in Arizona, and I went to my favorite restaurant in, in Tucson, which is called Pinnacle Peak, and it's like these amazing mesquite grilled steaks. Right. And if you wear a tie in there, Mike Harmon, they cut it off and hang it up. Uh, on the ceiling. Oh, yeah, okay. you can't wear a tie in there. My cool. dad's got a bunch of ties. My, my my buddies and I in high school, we used to steal my dad's ties because he never threw ties away. So we had these 1970s, you know, <laughs> like you know, like like a guy that would drive a Granada, like that Bruh, kind of right, tie. Yeah, not
1: a guy that would drive a Granada. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah, that kind yeah. of tie.
0: And I, I told the waitress, I'm like, my dad's got probably about eight of those up there. But anyway, I asked her, I said, because there was nobody in the restaurant. And when I, this is the kind of place, it's kind of a theme restaurant. They got an old West town. They used to do... You know, okay, okay, corral reenactments, and there's gift shops. You take your picture the old way, all that stuff. And normally it was like you could not get in, even on a weeknight, you'd have to wait, you know, an hour and a half to get in and have a steak there. And I called over and they were like, Yeah, come on in. I came in. There were three other tables in the entire restaurant, three other tables. So I was talking to the waitress and I said, I said, This is my favorite place. It has great memories for me growing up. How are you guys doing with COVID? And she goes, She goes, Honey. She goes, "We can't get our employees to come back because they're making more money on unemployment." Oh yeah. Than they would be making in here. She's like, "We want to get more flow in here. We I mean, it's start she's like it's starting to come back alive a little bit, but we can't even our we call our old employees and say, "Hey, do you want to come back to work?" and they go, "Nope, making more money on unemployment." That happened and it was it was it was it sort of exacerbated this problem too where people were refusing to go back to work when they could have right um and so it makes one wonder how much money we just put out the window because of this quote-unquote universal income experiment that the left did and we sort of prove them wrong if you give people a bunch of money to stay home guess what they're going to do they're yeah, going to stay home
1: confer- <laughs> and i haven't confirmed but it seems like i heard somewhere that like the uh person over in Wa- washington state that was responsible for it uh Lost like six hundred million dollars to fraud, and then a Biden, yeah. I think, is appointed her to uh, <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. a cabinet
1: position over giving out the money. Yeah, so.
0: yeah. Uh, but there's a different set of um, benchmarks of success for Democrats, <laughs> right? Like, like if you're a Democrat, it's it, we're going to hire you based on how much government money you manage to lose or obfuscate. Then <laughs> that's what that's what promotes you on the Democrat side. So I don't know, man.
1: Um, Well, it looks like it looks like it's President Biden's nominee for deputy labor secretary presided over eleven point four billion in jobless benefit fraud in California. So
0: that okay, that's just one state, Mike. Yeah. And granted, it's big one. But I mean, that's just one state. Oh, my God. This is crazy. Okay, so let's take our partisan hat off for a minute. Okay. And Sounds let's good. just look at this from a uh nuts and bolts how do we fix it? If you could sit down with Governor Bashir, I'm sure, sure he doesn't want this problem on his plate anymore and offer been. a few suggestions of how we could go ahead and get our arms around this, get it straightened out and fix it. What would you say to him?
1: Well, if it was me, of course, we made a series of recommendations in a report, but beyond the report, uh, I would say, first of all, let's make sure that you've got a lot of people on the phones yeah. and checking emails. So let's, let's, get them, let's get them certified. Let's get them Guess you know, trained. Guess what? Those
0: are those are created jobs right there in the midst of right. a huge uh, need for jobs. And, and to be honest with you, I know we're
1: spending millions of dollars for contact tracing. And I think making sure people get their unemployment is much more beneficial than contact tracing. That's just my personal, opinion. Down my personal opinion, yeah. but get them trained, make sure they sign a confidentiality agreement, do a quick background check. You can do those. I mean, you've got money, you still got cares money to spend and uh, get that taken care of and get them on the phone lines and then have them at least sufficient. I mean, I know we spent millions, you know, with Ernest and Young, uh, trying to get the files, you know, processed and things like that. Uh, as I said earlier, I think, uh, you know, early on, of course, they're in session now, so it'd be difficult to do this now. But early on, you know, the General Assembly offered up a hundred people when everybody else was shutting down, uh, to be able to help navigate some of this. So we should have done this a long time ago. But now, since we're in the thick of it, we just need to make sure we have as many people on the phones, many people on the emails as we can and get them processed first in first out let's get some things done
0: what stopped him from hiring people right away to do that like what what stopped them from expanding i mean it would was the legislature saying you can't do that did we not have the budget for it was well was- here,
1: here here's the thing the people that would have come for the general assembly at least temporarily to help get through the first hump they were already being paid they were not going to get additional funds to right. my knowledge they just would have needed to have the training and sign the confidentiality because, you know, they were working from home anyway. Right. And that offer was made because they were already being paid. I I guess.
0: I I mean, this is another argument for the governor who did not call the legislature at all to to reach out and say, hey, a little help here. Let's right. work together. Tell me what your constituents are hearing and needing You know what I mean? I mean because there's no there's no more direct link to those people out in eastern Kentucky and out in western Kentucky and in southern Kentucky and in northern Kentucky than their representative. What are they hearing? What are they experiencing? What are they needing? So let's come together as a state legislature. I get it. The first three weeks, governor's in charge. Make the calls. Do the thing. Then call the legislature in. We have a pandemic. We have an unprecedented emergency. We need to figure out how are we going to get these unemployment benefits out quick? Do I need help from the legislature? Do you need to approve something? That I mean, I, to me, I am baffled. That that never happened. And it didn't happen in a lot of other states, too. But I mean, I I am baffled that a a good leader would call his people together, even if they were of a different party and say, guys, we got to get in here and figure this out. We got big problems to deal with. And it's like he's wanted to just put it all on his shoulder from the beginning. Screw the legislature. That's just partisanship. And well, I'll, this I'll is the, go
1: a step further. I don't think he worked much with the business
0: no, industry no, either. The not from the people or, I've or, talked to, not from the people yeah. I've talked to, the restaurant owners, uh, the owner of Brood in Kentucky. I mean, that's a guy that is on a crusade right now because of what the state did to him, and I would be too. And you know, that's an that that was an unnecessary problem for the governor to create for himself, to have a business that has a huge social media following that's become national news now biting at his heels. And I'm not saying that in an insulting way. I have a lot of respect for Brood. I'm saying I would do the same thing if I was the owner of Brood. That was an unnecessary enemy to create. That was an unnecessary bit of enmity to create. He didn't have to do that, you know. So it's frustrating. Um, What what was the top recommendation you put in your uh, in your report?
1: Well, I, I mean, the, the big thing is is to make sure that if there are, is there, if there's federal guidance or if there's normal basic controls,
0: right,
1: you should follow them, right. Uh, you know that those are like the key elements because you know from the standpoint of our report, uh, we're we're looking at controls, we're looking at compliance, and we're we're actually looking at the financial statement right. uh, just to make sure that, that it's... So it, it can get when you're just talking about the basics uh you know sometimes it may not see as energetic but when you're looking at the fact just like we talked about that there were 400,000 unread emails
0: yeah then then certainly that
1: is uh, eye-popping and a little disheartening
0: did, so. did when you said that there was violation of federal law was that in removing those controls in order to get it out faster yeah, that was yeah, the violation yeah, yeah that, that was one
1: one of but that's the, the main
0: one why but, were yeah. other states able to not pull those controls off and still get employment, unemployment benefits out to their people quicker.
1: Uh, you know, I, I can't really speak to that, but yeah. my, my guess is if you had those controls on, even if it was difficult, you would be asking the right questions. So you wouldn't, you'd still probably have some, but you probably wouldn't have as much of a backlog to try to determine whether these were fraud or yeah. not fraud. Yeah. yeah. You know?
0: All right. Uh, something tells me, Mike Harmon, you still have like you've probably still got that Granada in your garage somewhere, and you secretly break it out <laughs> no, on a Friday night. That's sorry, that's your date it, car with your wife. It,
1: it's funny you would say that because my <laughs> brother actually lost the car coming home in a in a snowstorm oh, or something, no. and, and he played. Uh, this has been years ago, but it played almost like uh, you know a pinball machine. He was banking back and forth. <laughs> Thankfully, there were guardrails. Yeah, no doubt. But pretty much totaled
0: that. that, uh, uh, that, Those were rear-wheel drive, weren't they? That's before they started putting four-wheel drive on Sedan. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was. (laughs) I'm pretty sure it was. Yeah, that was. The the first
1: car I I ever had that I owned on my own was a Plymouth Champ. And uh, it ran it for a while. And then uh, it started having transmission problems. And I took it into – thankfully, we had a very – uh kind uh i uh, <laughs> just googled but mechanic, mechanic and he came out and he looked at it, and he said well and you gotta remember he's had a big old cigar in him. he come out and he looked at it, and he like well i tell you what he said is that you know that they had the uh, the engine mount he said there was a cracking he said is that always been there? And I was like, "Well, I don't know." And he said, "I tell you what, I can fix all this, but that your engine's going to fall out in the middle of the road. So I'd just go get you another car."
0: Uh, at least he was honest with you. Okay, what yeah. y- what year was your Col- was your uh, we call Dodge Colt Plymouth Champ? What year was your champ? <sighs>
1: what was the Plymouth Champ? I don't even remember. Let me just say, even-
0: I, people are going to Google it now because I just Googled it. <laughs> Let me just say. <laughs> The fact that your first car was a Plymouth Champ makes all the sense in the world that you eventually had a Ford Festiva. That's all I'm going to say. Yeah. <laughs> That's all I'm going to say. Exactly. <laughs> I
1: love it, it. it. Actually, the Ford Festiva is <laughs> what I bought after the Plymouth nah, I'm Champ. I'm not surprised. But,
0: <laughs> That's so awesome. All right. Listen, Mike, it's good talking to you. Thanks for your time. State Auditor Mike Harmon, we appreciate you keeping an eagle eye on things and appreciate all the information. Thanks, Lee. Right, I appreciate Have, a, you have well. a good one. I love it. Those old cars. I'm looking at this. The Slymouth Champ, it's such a dorky car, I love it. So, so like mine, man, my uh, Dodge Charger 1983, Google that, Google a 1983 Dodge Charger and tell me I wasn't the king of the ball, man. Uh, it, it was an ugly car. Uh, anyway, uh oh, I know what I was going to tell you guys, uh, this story just came across on hotair.com. Uh, This doesn't have anything to do with unemployment. It's just sad to me. Uh, San Francisco sues city school district as student suicides hit record highs. Guys, this is happening all across the country. And I told you it was coming. And I was mocked by liberals on social media for predicting that it was coming. And now it's here. We cannot keep ourselves. We are social animals as human beings. We are social animals. We cannot keep ourselves separated in this way even even the face mask the ability to smile to read someone's emotions through their through their face is taken away from us so that even when we're together with the masks we're still not together and I I I really think there's an element of this and there's an element of leadership out there that recognizes this knows this and knows that the more separated we are, the easier we are to control. Because people ask, what is the purpose of this, right? What is the purpose of this sort of ad nauseum? There's two things behind it. Number one, um, there's the idea that, um, that that you're much more controllable if you're not united. And you can't be united if you can't be together. Okay, So there's an element of that within this sort of idea uh, of why they're doing it. And then there's the other element is, how do I word this? When there is a crisis, certain people are called upon to lead in that crisis. And before the crisis hits, those certain people often are in the background and they never get any credit. And I can tell you from being in the media limelight, you know, most of my adult career that being the center of attention is fun. It really is fun, especially if you're a type A personality like me. I enjoy taking the stage. I enjoy being on my podcast. I enjoy being on the radio on WGTK 970 AM in Louisville. little plug. Um, My day job involves speaking to hundreds of people a month, and I love getting up on the stage and speaking to those people about something those people and myself are passionate about. And and so there's an element of and I'm just telling you that that, that when somebody who's been behind the scenes their entire lives, and, and this is just a little personal side note experience from me. Okay, I'll just I'll do this kind of monologuing here. I when I took my when I got my communications degree at Asbury University in Wilmore, Kentucky, graduated in 2000. My original goal was to never be in front of the microphone um, or behind the microphone or whatever you want to call it or in front of the camera. I never I wanted to be the behind the scenes guy. I was shy. Um and uh didn't really have the the self-confidence to to get on a microphone and pontificate. I always had opinions, but, you know, and I was always loud and that kind of thing. But I was a little bit shy, and I just never thought that would be what I would gravitate to. And uh, I I got the opportunity, well, I took the opportunity one night, because I was hungry, to basically get on the microphone. And it turned out I was good at it. And not only was I good at it, but when I heard from others that I was good at it, I liked hearing from others that I was good at it. And I realized being the center of attention is fun. And that's when I shifted my career goal. I want to be on the air. I want to be the center of attention. So there's a reason why I'm telling you all this stuff. Okay. When you've been behind the scenes like I was, and then you got a taste of being the the reason for the show, it changes everything. And you never want that to go away. This is human emotion, right? You're now somebody that people look to. They want to hear what you have to say. You're now important to them. You're relevant, Okay, in a way that you've never been before. It's not that you weren't relevant when you were behind the scenes; you certainly were, but no one knew it. Now everyone knows you're relevant. Okay, that's the other element behind keeping this um, this emergency propelling forward and never ending it, because there's a knowledge that as soon as the show ends, as soon as the light goes off, as soon as the TV show you're watching right now stops. You're not going to think about those people anymore. You know, it's you're not going to be as famous anymore. I mean, yeah, you'll always get accolades and awards, but you're not going to be as famous because you're not there all the time. This is driving this idea of like the Dr. Fauci's of the world to keep telling us more and more preposterous things like wear three masks you know, and, and and look, common sense tells us that if you have one layer of fabric, it'll stop some of the particles. If you have two layers of fabric, it'll stop more of the particles. If you have three layers of the fabric and if you have four layers of fabric and so on and so forth. Right. But at some point, you're going to pass out because at some point you're going to stop the oxygen from coming in. Right. It's preposterous. We know that N95 masks work because they're sealed and they have the right amount of filtering. Right. Right. So, anything where you add a layer of mask to it is just going to get you a little bit closer to what an N95 would do. It's not, it, but the fact that you say it is preposterous because wearing two masks is preposterous. Either go get an N95 or don't worry about it, right? But the whole idea that these masks are keeping us safe is also ludicrous. They're not. Does it slow the spread? Does it stop it a little? Maybe, maybe a little right but it's not it, it, people are wearing it as a false sense of security because we're we're afraid right now keeping us frightened keeps them relevant so again there's two things that are driving behind this number 1 it's people that want to stay relevant who suddenly became relevant and became famous i mean when when the pandemic goes away who's going to call dr fauci to talk on fox news or on cnn or any of the other networks nobody nobody's going to want to talk to dr fauci when life goes back to normal right So there's that element that's keeping it going forward, but then there's also the element that there's the elite that control us that see this as a beautiful opportunity. We are divided. We are separated. We are at each other's throats. We have people that are accosting each other in grocery stores because one of them is not wearing a mask. When we are focusing on those things, we're not focusing on the incredible corruption in the Biden family. We're not focusing on um, really bad uh, legislative ideas coming from the Democrats. We're not focusing on those things. We're much easier to control when we're separated. So if you want to know the reason behind this. So anyway, going back to it, the San Francisco study story, um, we have never had to be this separated. The the rise in suicides, and I said at the very beginning, I said shutting everything down is going to kill more people than the virus ever dreamed of. And I am I stand by that prediction today. We don't have the specific numbers. We won't have the statistics on suicides for another year or so in terms of the actual numbers. But we do know from hearing from professionals, from stories that I've read, that the numbers are up. Depression is up. This is happening, and this is a direct result. And the thing that drives me nuts is that we have got the technology that we invested in, and this is a failure on Trump's part too. If we had invested in getting a cheap and easy test, that people could take, even if it's not 100% accurate, don't let perfect be the enemy of the good. Even if it's not 100% accurate, get something that's 80% accurate, that takes 80% of the cases of COVID out of the public. And then you can switch to the model that we know really works with pandemics, and that is you quarantine the sick and the vulnerable and let everybody else go back to work. So much of this death and destruction could have been absolutely avoided by better leadership. And that goes, that falls on Trump too. But what we're seeing right now is an exacerbation of all the, tr- the mistakes Trump made, making it worse while the mainstream media helps Biden blame Trump for the things that he's continuing, right? Does that make sense? All right, I digress. That's enough. Anyway, sad days. Hopefully things will get better. I have faith. There you go. Hey, thanks for listening to the podcast. Thank you to our sponsor, Louisville Cabinets and Countertops. Guys, I don't talk about businesses that I don't believe in. Okay, and let me tell you why specifically I believe in Louisville cabinets and countertops. And please look, you know, you can do what you want, but please listen and patronize them uh, because that's what keeps us going. And I appreciate that. But let me tell you why I personally believe in them. They did our kitchen when we lived in Oldham County and they took a house that we thought was beautiful, but was really lacking in the kitchen area. And they made it almost our dream home. Right. I mean, it was almost our dream home and we freaking loved it. And we enjoyed it for several years. And then when it came time to move to Colorado, we put the house on the market, and guys, it sold in less than a day. Now, obviously, we'd done a lot to the house, but I feel like one of the huge factors that made that house so sellable was the beautiful work that Louisville Cabinets and Countertops had done on our kitchen. And I want you to call them 502-930-3304 if you're thinking about upgrading your kitchen. Um, They did both our kitchen and master bath for us. It doesn't matter whatever kind of hard hard surface top top you're looking for we went with granite it was a little more expensive but guys it was pretty amazing um, because it was uh it, it was very low maintenance okay so so whatever type of surface you're looking for bam um they got that and they've got if you're a do-it-yourselfer or a contractor they've got really high quality beautiful cabinets in stock they have three designers on staff george kelly and michelle give them a call Better yet, stop by the showroom at 6200 Hit Lane. Thanks to JP Web Design for their help with the website, thedisruptionzone.com, thedisruptionzone.com. And thanks to uh, uh, Dynamics Audio Productions in Lexington, Kentucky for some of their help with the audio of this program. And thanks to my co-executive producer, uh, Cameron Mills, who doesn't do anything, but we still love him. Uh, and also thank you to you, the thousands of you who download this podcast every week. We really, really appreciate it. Share it with your friends. Download us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, and iHeartRadio. Please give us a five star review on those platforms because it actually spreads the message. When we get five star reviews, especially on Apple Podcasts, what they do is they promote those podcasts that are getting five star reviews. So they put them out in the mainstream and they start putting them in front of people and then other people will click and listen. So we really appreciate it if you do that. You can find us on Twitter, it's at Leland Show and at GreatLelando, and on Instagram or in, uh, sorry, on Twitter, it's at Leland Show and at zone disruption and on Instagram it's at great Lelando and at the disruption zone. Thanks for listening. I'm Leland Conway The Disruption Zone.